Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Well, morning, 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 and welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Alex Alexanian. And Brenda Bush. Hi, Brenda. Good morning, everyone. On 77 WABC and the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour is on once again. Our number is 800-848-WABC. And today's subject, as you know, we only talk about our best friends, our best friends being our... Furry best friends. Furry best friends, meaning our dogs and cats sometimes, but uh, mostly dogs. The cost of becoming a no-kill nation. And this time, the, the cats are going to be listening real careful because they actually do a little bit more dying than the dogs yes, do. Yes, they do. So we're not going to get morbose about this thing. We're not going to talk the negative aspects of it, but we're going to talk about the positive side of how, go, how can we take the United States. Well, it's States. a little hard to talk killing without being negative. Okay, but... Yeah, but yeah. we're not going to... We're not going to depress you too much. We're not going to yeah. make you want to slit your wrists this morning. Well, nowhere near it, actually, Brenda. <laughs> we're, we're really going to be doing is talking about what will it take to take the United States into a right. no-kill nation where we don't kill any more of our pets, period. And we're going to do this with a couple of terrific guests. But before we get into that, we have usually a, an opening chat, and we talk about the walkathon, which is two weeks from today. Wow. I'm, sc- I'm a scared. 14 days from now. But before we talk about the walkathon, I want to talk about something else. That's a pet peeve of mine, and that's Misery Proposition B. Oh, I, okay, knew, you, so, I knew you were going to go there. So Missouri Proposition B, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we have three guests today. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this was the, uh, Missouri is the, is the, uh, infamous, infamous puppy, number one puppy mill state in the United States, okay? The number, the worst puppy mill state in the United States. And the voters went to the polls in November and they basically, uh, put into, uh, into place laws that would, uh, that would change the way puppy mills are structured. By referendum. By referendum, It was yeah. a strong will of the people to do this. And they tried to put the puppy mill business out of business. That was the idea that the people did this, okay? Right. Not the politicians, the people did this. Well, since then, since November now, which is what, six months ago? Since uh, five months ago, the second that bill passed, the legislators of, no, uh, of, of Missouri went gung-ho to try to overturn to the will of the people. To it. Yep. And guess what? They did it. Last week... Jerky governor of uh, Missouri, Mr. Jerk, I'm going to call him because I'm not going to give him the honor of his name, um, signed a bill that both houses of the Missouri legislature passed, overturning the will of the people and basically nulling and neutralizing this phenomenal, this fantastic yeah, they uh, said, effort we, that we, the people made. We can't do this because it's actually going to put puppy mills out of business. And the people said, guess what? That's exactly what we intended to do. Unbelievable. You know, last last week I, I talked about how the Iranians are trying to pass a law that makes uh, dog ownership illegal. I call this Iranian justice in Missouri. That's what I call this. Um, I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of that governor and I'm ashamed of the legislature. Um, I only wish that we had more we could do from here in New so York City. So what's the whole point? We're going to have to have another show. What's the whole point of a referendum if, if this is what happens? I am ashamed of these guys. Anyway, so that's the subject of the day. I, I, I've got to switch yeah. from that. I've got, I don't have enough time. We're going to go right into the walkathon, which is uh, Sunday, 14 days. Sunday, May 15th, FDR Park, Yorktown Heights, New York. It's going to be a great event. And, a uh, tremendous event. A tremendous event. The momentum event. is building. Oh, absolutely. And it's our one event that we do in a year. Bring so if your you dog. want to meet us. Bring your dog and join us. 
Right. Join us. We'll be there. There's going to be movie stars there. Um, some phenomenal stuff is going to be going on, and I would love to meet you guys. So come on up and say hello. Um, but uh, in that vein, I want to introduce right now Mary Horn. She's going to be there. She's a certified pet uh, dog trainer, um, and they do obedience training, director of the Port Chester Obedience Training Club. Let's put Mary on the phone and talk to her a little bit about what she's going to be doing at the Walkathon. Mary, good morning. Good morning. Nice to have you. Nice to see you on the radio. Thank you. you. you Thanks for joining see me us. Unless you've got Thank hidden goodness. cameras. Thank goodness, Mary, because we just rolled out of bed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so thanks, thanks for joining us. So for, why don't we start with um, telling listeners a, a little bit about um, what the Port Chester Obedience Training Club is. Where is it and what is it? Absolutely. Well, uh, as the name doesn't say, it's actually no longer in Port Chester, but it's in White Plains, New York. And uh, we're convenient to uh, basically Manhattan, Westchester, Connecticut, and the New Jersey area. We have uh, students coming from all over. Um, we are a 71-year-old American Kennel Club licensed uh, obedience training club, but today basically we uh, serve uh, everyone who is uh, the dog-owning uh, population. We don't train cats, uh, at least not yet, but uh, we focus on uh, dogs, and we have over 60 classes a week, uh, puppy kindergarten, basic manners, uh, competitive obedience, agility. Yeah, I mean, I was, your website, your, I was checking out your website. Um, of course, I've been to your facility a, a couple of times, but I went back to the website just to sort of update myself, and I was surprised at the number of, of services and, and training programs that you guys offer. Yeah, we really, really have a lot going on, and um, so pleased to say that, you know, a big part of our focus right now is on uh, helping pet owners sort of get off to a great start with their dogs, whether they be puppies or adolescent dogs, and as you guys know better than I do, I mean, most dogs who are surrendered to shelters uh, or abandoned are not not puppies, but they're, you know, the older, out-of-control adolescent dogs who just haven't had any training and uh, then come up with behavior issues. So we really try to, you know, help forestall that. Right. It's never too late to train the dog, right? So for people that get adopted shelter dogs. Absolutely. Yep. In fact, uh, we offer a $50 discount for uh, first-time classes for, for anyone who has rescued a dog from a shelter or other organization. That's great. So, so Mary, you're going to be at, obviously, you're going to be at the walkathon. Tell us, what are you going to be doing? You're going to do a demonstration, I, but I'm what is it? I'm actually not going to be at the walkathon. Well, the club uh, is going to be there, but Mary herself is not going to be there. Absolutely. Right. Yep. <laughs> several, several of our colleagues will be, and uh, they'll be doing demonstrations and, uh, you know, promoting training and promoting the club, and we have have, um, you know, not only do we have training classes in various disciplines, but we also have, um, you know, Sunday workshops and speak, guest speakers and things like that. So all of that information will be available there. Um, and, and what kind of a demonstration are you going to do? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. They're, doing, you an, the they're doing an agility demo. Oh, an agility yeah, okay, demo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. So, and, and the funny thing is, you know, a lot of people that are outside of the dog world don't even know um, what an agility demo is. It is the truth, yep. Uh, as popular as agility is in some circles, and you can see it on TV, it's, uh, it is a hugely uh, fun and active sport that can be enjoyed in, uh, you know, all variety of manners um, where dogs are, um, you know, going over equipment and running through tunnels and doing jumps, and, uh, you know, it, it it's one of those great things that promotes the bond between humans and dogs through that training. Right. So right. And we're big participants in, in agility at the club. That's great. And if, if I could, I would have brought the, the governor of Missouri so that all ah. your dogs can jump on him. <laughs> 
I hear you. That was very distressing to know. <laughs> uh, Mary, we're going to have to take off, okay, because uh, we have a, a very, very busy show. Um, we're looking forward to having your group there and seeing these great demonstrations at the Walkathon two weeks from today. Great. And thank you for getting up in the morning and joining us and telling us a little bit about um, the Portchester uh, Obedience Training Club. My pleasure. I hope many of your listeners will come see us in person. We hope thank so, you. too. Thanks, Thanks Mary. Mary. Okay, thank we'll you. be right back with our first guest. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way. And Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit dogsindanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now before they run out of time. Right now, thousands of wonderful dogs are waiting for new families and animal shelters near you. Every year, puppy mills breed tens of thousands of puppies sold in pet stores or over the Internet for profit, while every day healthy shelter dogs lose their lives only because there aren't enough homes for them. When you adopt instead of purchasing a pet, you're saving a life and helping to end the cruel practice of puppy mills. Learn more and take the pledge to adopt your next pet at bestfriends.org. Together, we can bring about a time of no more homeless pets. Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, that was uh, that was an interesting. I, I can't wait to see the uh, Yeah, it's a, it's really a great Porchester really Club. fun thing to watch, the, yeah. the agility demo. Yeah, but let's get on to the subject of the day, which is the cost of becoming a no-kill nation. A dream for many, a uh, hope for others and <laughs> the rest of the country, I guess, doesn't care. But all those people that ever loved an animal would like to see this America become a no, no-kill no nation, I believe. I mean, who wants to be killing animals if you can help it? And we're going to look into the possibility of being able to do that in a, in a cost-effective basis. And I want to introduce Dr. Jo- Joseph DeCorellis, professor of North Carolina State University, former environmental scientist at the EPA, where he modeled complex weather change patterns and their effects on wind power. I want to bring him online not, uh, this morning. Dr. DeCarlis, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, guys. Good, Good morning. morning, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. I'm, I'm proud to call Joe a friend of Dogs in Danger. For many years, from the start. From the start. That's right. Uh, Joe, is, uh, Joe contacted us, um, a, what, years back and said, you know what, I have an idea. I have an idea. You know, I'm, I'm an expert in mathematical modeling, and um, I'd like to, to try to model what it would be like if America, if we had a magic button and we pushed that magic button and it made America a no-kill nation. The magic button, obviously, would be the legislation. Let's say Congress passed the bill and President Obama signed it tomorrow and it just said, you know, you can't kill a dog anymore. So not, suddenly that's it. It's over. No killing of dogs and cats. And he said, what would it be like? Let me see if I can model this thing. And uh, two years later, Joe had this phenomenal model. So let me ask you a first question. What made you think about modeling a no-kill America in the first place? Well, I think the thing that got me motivated was um, the idea that if if we were to go no-kill, that there would be this explosion of uh, animals 
staying in shelters, the need for additional shelter space. And in fact, there's there's actually a direct quote out of uh, Nathan Winograd's book, Redemption, and he quotes a, a shelter director who says, uh, you build a shelter with 200 cages. Today you get 50 homeless animals and you place 10. The other 40 go into cages. Tomorrow you get 50, but only 15 go home. When the fictional shelter is full, um, we suggest building more cages, which we do, but those cages are quickly filled. The inflow of unwanted animals is an ongoing phenomenon. What do we do with the rest? And so that kind of got me thinking quantitatively about the fact that, okay, if we did go no-kill and we did have to, uh, you know, build additional shelter space, how, what would that, how much would it be and how much would it cost? That's what really got me motivated. And when we say no-kill, we're not talking about a 10-year plan. We mean, like, instantly. What if there was just a law that said, tomorrow we're right. not going to kill it? What's going to happen? Because, exactly. because logically, people think, well, there'll be so many animals, what will we possibly do? Exactly. So if we started this morning with no-kill, uh, we've got about 4 million animals, uh, dogs and cats mostly, that are killed annually in shelters. That comes out to be about 11,000 animals a day. So if we started today with those 11,000 animals um, being rescued rather than killed, what would happen? Right. And what were some of the key assumptions you had to make on this, this model? And we're going to talk about the results of this model right after this question. Sorry, can you can you repeat? So what were some of the key assumptions you had to you had to sort of build into this thing? Sure. Let me let me walk you through it um, uh, very quickly. So first, again, we start with four million animals who are killed annually in U.S. shelters. That comes out to about eleven thousand animals uh, a day in U.S. shelters that are being killed. So what I did was I assumed that every day we're going to get exactly 11,000 animals in. Now, again, that's a simplifying assumption, which could be changed later on, but we need data in order to do that. Uh, so we've got these 11,000 animals coming in, and as they come into the shelter each day, they're assigned a residence time in that shelter. And the residence time, of course, is going to vary by the animal. Some animals are cute and fluffy, they're young, they're going to get adopted very, very quickly. Some animals might be um, much older. Um, they don't, uh, they're not as desirable for many uh, potential adopters. So they're going to be in the shelter much longer. So they might, so what we need is a way to assign a residence time in a shelter that's random because it's going to depend on the type of animal that goes into the shelter. So I effectively treat the residence time of each and every animal going into the shelter as a random variable. So the amount of time that the, each animal spends in the shelter is determined randomly. Mm -hmm. But it's not totally randomly because I don't want the model to tell me, well, this dog is going to stay in the shelter for a 1,000 years and this animal is going to stay right, in right. for negative five years. So I have to constrain it, and I do that by developing something called a probability distribution, which I can go into in more detail later if it's of interest. But effectively, that's what I do. And so what you see is over time... Um, as the animals come in, uh, they go into shelter space. But as time goes on and more animals are added, you have to remember that animals that were brought into the shelter previously are also going home. And, yeah, and some so animals are going to die, and some animals are going to exactly. naturally die, obviously. Um, yes. and, and some of them are going to be adopted. 
What's, what I find fascinating, and by the way, we are going to be posting um, Dr. DeCarellis' analysis on the website. If you just right. go to the homepage and click uh, Radio Hour, you can read it for yourself. It's fascinating reading. But I want to cut to the chase and, and here, And we Joe. encourage feedback on that, too, we should add. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I'm going to cut to the chase here and talk about some of the results of this analysis that you did, sure. this modeling that you did. Um, the two key points that we find out is that um, the United States, to go no-kill today, would need 480,000 dogs would be in shelters around the United States. As a constant. As a constant. Right. They would so need it space. doesn't just grow exponentially right. forever and ever right. and ever. That's, right. that's, it reaches that's a constant. The, exactly. That's one of the non-intuitive results is that this thing reaches a steady state, and if we're talking about 4 million animals a year, it ends up being that we need roughly a half million additional spaces. So right. So let's let's, let's explain here. that for people. Steady yeah. state. What do I, what do we mean? There's a great right. uh, chart. It's figure number two on on, on Joe's um, model, um, and what it shows is a very quick buildup of the number of animals in shelters, starting from zero from the day you push the magic button, mm-hmm. and it goes up very very quickly, and then it immediately flattens out at around four hundred eighty thousand. What that means is when you have four hundred eighty thousand dogs in the shelters of this country, at that point, what comes in the door and what goes out the door balance each other out right. so it stays at 480,000 it never goes even up if nothing it never else, comes down even if nothing else changes right. so this is assuming worst case scenario right but it stays at that number so it's not this thing right. where you know i have to keep throwing uh, cages at it i have right. to keep no you do have to keep you have to throw Initially. a whole bunch of cages right. at the beginning and then you don't ever have to do that again. And that number is 480,000. Now, let's get something straight here, right, Joe? We don't know, because reporting in this category is so pathetic and paltry, we don't know how many cages exist right now out of that 480,000. No. Right. Do half no, of that don't. exist? Somebody has that piece of information out there. Please let we us don't. know, but right. we don't. And I just want to, I just, let me just add this. Um, for people that are just joining us, you're on the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, and we're talking to Dr. Joseph D. Carolis, and our subject for today is the cost of a no-kill nation. So, uh, Joe, uh, the other interesting thing about it is this. The 480,000 dogs that would have to be caged or, or kept costs $1.72 billion to do this annually right. is what you've got. Now, again, how much are we spending on the current system of keeping the dogs and killing the dogs or keeping the animals and killing the animals? How much is that costing us? Obviously, it's costing something, right? I know New York City spends $5 million yeah. a year. Right. Okay, that's, that's right. a fact. Okay, I don't know what we're spending, but $5 million at 1.72 is definitely being spent in New York City alone. $25 so, million in L.A., I think. Who knows? Right. Yeah, $25 million in L.A. But across so the country, what's the national budget for it? I would, right, we, we don't know. We, so we, we want that stat, too. $1.72 billion price tag. The incremental, the difference between what we're spending today and what Joe's model is showing, $1.72 billion, could be as little as 100000 I don't know. Or it could be as, as right. big as a billion dollars. Who knows? But, Joe, tell us something. Even if the whole big shebang was the full $1.72 billion, mm-hmm. as a family man, a socially conscious human, and a scientist, how much do you think is too much to s- stop the killing of our non-human friends? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a tough question to answer because i mean obviously i have in my mind i you know i have my own number i have two of my own dogs i would certainly i would probably be willing to spend much more than the average um uh american but in my opinion uh you know i I mean when you first hear you know over a billion dollars it sounds like a a lot of money but you know to put it in context the u.s budget is 2.1 trillion dollars okay so 
if you were to take the 1.7 billion, which is not just stocks, that's just just a clarifying point. We're talking about 480,000 additional spaces for dogs and, and cats. cats. Right, dogs and cats. And, right, it's all um, and dogs so and cats. All pets. Cost, right, and so that additional cost, the 1.7 billion, is for all dogs and cats that are being killed right now. Mm-hmm. If you compare that to our 2.1 trillion dollar annual budget, um, that's about eight one hundredths of a percent. <laughs> Eight so, one hundredths. So you take a percent, divide it by one hundred, and take eight yep. of those slices out. Eight yeah. one hundredths eight of a percent. Eight one hundredths of a percent. It's it is insane. And and Joe, let me correct something here. It's not one point seven two billion because we know that we're spending right. at least right. thirty million we're talking about that the, New York the, and LA together the, the variance alone. Between yeah. the two, yeah. So so the difference Correct. is clearly not one point seven two billion. It's going to be you know something you know whatever it is. It's going to be way less than one point seven two billion. And just one other caveat. Again, this is this is assuming that you have to put these animals in shelter spaces. If we had, if I could wave my magic wand one more time. And this time I also put in, magically put in place a bunch of really motivated and intelligent shelter directors, um, and they applied, you know, the no-kill principles the way that Nathan Winograd articulates. It obviously could be significantly less than this in terms of cost. You might not need additional shelter spaces in municipal shelters that aren't too large because you can recruit volunteers who take the animals home and all of this other stuff that could you know, reduce the cost. So this is really meant to be an upper bound. All of the assumptions that went into that cost analysis, and again, if folks want to download the paper, uh, are very conservative. Very conservative. Very conservative, I look at this as worst-case scenario because it can only get better from here if you implement additional, the traditional strategies, you know, the the spay-neuter, the adoption policies, the better, uh, you know, shelter reform, all of these things. Uh, Absolutely. So we're at worst case scenario. And some of the things I just wanted to mention, I don't think we have time to go into the detail of them, but I just wanted to mention all of the, I mean, there are a lot of uh, of variables and assumptions that are built into this, right? So um, Mm -hmm. it actually takes into consideration um, the daily food costs for dogs, staff time for the animals, staff wages, cost per day per animal, adoption fees. I mean, all of these things are, are factored into the... Uh, I, I abs- it's it's amazing when you see the chart it just it's not what i expected no and and it's fascinating that for i don't know probably less than a billion dollars out of how many what did you say our budget was two trillion dollars two trillion yeah out of two trillion now, i don't i don't even think people including myself can figure out how many zeros it takes to get to two trillion but for a billion dollars which is probably going to be less than five one hundredths of one percent the United States would be a no-kill nation. Not one pet would be put to death just because there's no space for them. Right. I mean, that is an that is a dream for a society to aspire to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think so. Absolutely. And, and I I don't understand. I mean, if it's if that's all it takes to take to get rid of this curse that's you know that that's right this albatross around our society that we know is the wrong thing to do. And it's a tiny, it's insignificant. You well, know, you're talking probably got, less than a billion dollars. And, and we've gotten ourselves here because there's been this resignation of, well, what what else can we do but kill them? Yeah, well, Joseph. Well, uh, guess what? <laughs> the fascinating thing is that it doesn't expand nonstop. Right. It flattens it out. It reaches a steady state. Right. Very right. quickly. Within a month, you've pretty much reached the maximum it's ever going to reach. And you don't right. have to do anything else. The country is no kill. 
I mean, right. I mean, for sure, this is a complex problem, you know. But it t- it's going to take outside the box thinking and an interdisciplinary approach to be able to solve it. And you know, and someone like Joe who comes outside of this traditional industry model and says, "Hey, what about these other ideas?" And uh, you know, I I love. E- you, you had here, Joe, um, one month in Afghanistan, $6.7 billion. We can save 4 million animals for the cost of one week in Afghanistan. Less, yep. less than one, less week, than in one week in Afghanistan. Less than one yep. week in Afghanistan will save – less than one week in Afghanistan will save every single dog. You're talking 4 million dogs and cats not being dead, thrown into mm-hmm. garbage cans. Um, right. For the for the cost of less than one week in Afghanistan, I mean, this is this is just insane stuff. That when you really think about it, as a moral society, as as a as a generation of people that give a damn, you know, that um, that we're not we're not incentivizing our government leaders to do this kind of stuff and 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 spend the money. It's not that much money. You wouldn't even feel a billion dollars in the U.S. budget. You wouldn't even feel it. Right. You know. Right. So we're going to be posting. Uh, we're going to be posting this uh, analysis up on our website for anyone who wants to check it out. We encourage it. Um, maybe we can also add it to a blog or, or certainly to our Facebook page so we can get a discussion going, get some feedback. Joe, stay on the line if you can with us because we're going to bring uh, Richard Abenzano in, who is a great spokesperson for the cause and the president of Maddie's Fund. Um, next, if you have an opportunity, we'd love to have you on because toward the end of the show. Maybe we can punch you both in. But we're going to have to take an, uh, a break. Thank you, Joe. Great analysis. Thank you, Joe. You and did thank it you for, for all of your no efforts, cost. right, for, for, for no monetary gain and just from the goodness of your heart for the dogs and, and the cats. And uh, well, stay with uh, us if you can, Joe. Sure, absolutely. Thanks again. We'll be right back. With- hey, Brenda. What's the best way for the good folks out there to help their furry friends? Well, they can buy our Dogs in Danger branded T-shirts, mouse pads, and postage stamps. And you know those stamps are real U.S. postal stamps, so you can use them every day. Just think, someone else finding out about this cause each time you send a letter. So please go to dogsindanger.com and buy from our selection of logoed products. Remember, each purchase helps us save a life. That's dogsindanger.com. Hi, this is Alex Alexanian. And Brenda Bush. Hosts of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour right here on 77WABC. Dogsindanger.com is a labor of love for us. We founded it over three years ago to save the lives of shelter dogs scheduled to die. Our efforts have helped save more than 50,000 dogs from death. Now we need your help to continue our work. We only do one fundraising event a year a walk in the park, and it's crucial to our efforts. It's going to be an amazing event with live music, free food, games, and celebrities all coming to Westchester's FDR Park on Sunday, May 15th. Yeah, our friend Shanna Wall from The Amazing Race is bringing a bunch of her reality star friends from The Bachelor, Survivor, and Flipper from The Sean Hannity Show right here on ABC is also coming. Please register to walk in person or walk virtually. It's so easy. Just go to walk.dogsindanger.com. You even get a free T-shirt because of you. Thousands more doggies will be living in happy homes instead of dead. That's walk.dogsindanger.com. Once again, it's walk.dogsindanger.com. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. Oh, Joe's a, Joe's a fascinating guy. And Dr. DeCorellis. Really, a really guy. bright guy and a good person. Absolutely. And I want to go from one bright guy. We're, we, we, are, we have the show of the bright guys today. We're going to bring on uh, Richard Avanzano, who is an eloquent 
spokesperson for this cause and president of Maddie's Fund, one of the largest endowments in the history of animal welfare. Um, It's a several hundred million dollar endowment that was made uh, dedicated to ending the killing of homeless animals. And Richard is with us this morning. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I am great. Are you awake yet, or did we wake you up with the last one, with the last discussion? It's absolutely a joy to be on your show, Alex. <laughs> Thank you very much, Richard. Um, I don't know if you heard, uh, if you were on the line to listen to Dr. DeCarolis' analysis, um, uh, particular analysis of this, just basically throwing cages at the, uh, at the problem issue. Let's, let's go a different way, and then we can sort of combine um, your thoughts and his, his, his analysis. Uh, you've dedicated your life, obviously, to, uh, to ending the killing of, um, of animals. And you are now the head of one of the largest endowments, as I said in the opening. And the, the, do you feel that you've been successful? Absolutely. Uh, we, we think uh, we can have a no-kill nation uh, by 2015. And uh, actually, it has possibilities for even getting there quicker than that uh, for a variety of different reasons. But everything is lining up exactly as we had hoped. Uh, about 40 years ago, the nation was killing about 24 million dogs and cats. Uh, now we're down to somewhere between four and three million uh, dogs and cats. We think if every organization, uh, there's about 12,000 out there, was to save just one more dog or cat per day, per organization, we would be no-kill overnight. Wow. One more One dog. per day per organization. Yeah, but it's per day. So per meaning day. it's 365 a year. Well, year. I don't know. Most of the rescue organizations I know are pretty maxed out already. <laughs> well, uh, now that's a fascinating number you came up with. Um, and I'm not talking about the $365. Right. You're saying 2015, which is 14 years from now. Um, you're saying that 3 to 4 million that are being killed now would be eradicated. Um, there's a whole plethora of solutions. I mean, Joe had one analysis. I know Nathan has another way of looking at the world and blah, 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 blah. Let's just say you had to pick one solution. Which one would you pick? Foster. Fostering. Elaborate more. Uh, well, I think we have to get away from shelter-centric uh, thinking about uh, saving animal lives. I think the American people uh, have in their heart uh, the desire to uh, have companion animals and love them dearly. They think of them as family members on four legs. Uh, we uh, just recently did a study a couple of years ago indicating that every year people will adopt out 21 million dogs and cats, either as new pets or to replace pets that have uh, passed on because of their short life expectancy. We need to convince of those 21 people, 7 million, uh, to adopt from animal shelters. 4 million are already adopting from animal shelters and committed to adopt from an animal shelter. 17 million people this year will uh, adopt an animal, and they haven't decided where to get it yet. Uh, some uh, outside of that 17 million, some have already decided they're going to get from a breeder or they're going to get from a pet shop. But 17 million have not made up their minds. We just have to convince three to four million of those 17 million this year that the shelters and the rescues are the best place to go. And if we do that, if we do our messaging correctly, we will end euthanasia overnight. Uh, but 
But Richard, you're not a proponent of legislation, am I correct? Or maybe you are. I mean, it's a question. But leg- what I mean by legislation is there's two ways to do this, right? One, you go out there and send this wonderful message out to people and convince them that the, the choice they should make is to walk away from the the shop and go right. into the shelter. The other way you there's can do it two. is make it illegal for the shop right. to exist. So you just, I mean, you know, w- we go outside the boundaries here on the show, and we like to think blue sky as much as possible. So blue sky, one thought: no more pet shops. That's it. One one piece of legislation. So now everybody, if they want a dog, all 17 million walk into the shelter, done overnight. You are not a proponent of that, or are you? Um, I actually don't uh, personally see one size fits all. I think every community ought to decide for itself what is the best way to do its life-saving, whether it invests in spay-neuter, whether it uh, adopts legislation, whether it goes out and expands its resource base, whether it uh, brings in greater uh, leadership and, and more talent. Um, whether it expands municipal animal control or the volunteer organizations grow themselves. There's also, as you said, uh, Alex, there's all sorts of different ways of trying to achieve the goal. All of them will get the goal done. Uh, but every community, in my view, ought to decide for itself what is the best path. I think legislation works, but I think if legislation is going to be the hallmark, it has to be adequately funded. I think in a recessionary time when uh, economic uh, strings are tight and uh, taxpayer dollars are scarce, it's hard to convince our legislative leaders uh, that animal welfare uh, is at the priority level that uh, you and I think uh, it should be. So I'm not as much of a fan of legislation without adequate funding. That's why I believe in the volunteer sector. That's why I believe that philanthropy should be directing and building up volunteer programs so that uh, we touch the uh, hearts and minds of the American people and get them to adopt from rescue and shelter. Well, I mean, it's going to have to come one of two ways, right? It either has to be an act of will by the people or it's going to have to be a, an act of legislation. Force. Right, yeah. force. There's, there's only, I think, two ways to get there. But, the, 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 um, but the, it's the interesting t- what, what Richard said is that he may be in favor of legislation if he knew that it was right. funded. Right, Correct, Richard? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and I'm totally with you. Is a- Unfunded legislation is, is, is disaster legislation. Exactly. And, and like I said, uh, the reason I'm not as much of a fan of legislation is that I see over the decades that I've been involved in this, so, you know, I'm one of those dinosaurs, over the decades uh, uh, we've seen uh, rise and fall in economic well-being of municipal dollars. And when the dollars are short, the animals get screwed. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why the volunteer sector and uh, philanthropy and working with the American people is the best safety net. Uh, but regardless of how we go about doing it, it has to be put in place because, as Joe was saying, and as both of you were talking about previously in the show, uh, this this is a national tragedy. And uh, what is exciting to me is that just within a matter of four years, we can end this uh, if we basically um, follow uh, the path that we're already on. Um, and, and with very, very little extra help in doing what is already on the way to getting accomplished. Wow. You recently gave a speech that where you outlined a plan where in 10 years we, we would go. I mean, you said 14, maybe even sooner. Um, America would be a no-kill nation. I think it would be the first civilized no-kill nation because everybody's killing their animals, by the way. Uh, we're not the only ones. Uh, but let me ask you this question. What If I said to you today, you have one year to do it in, could you do it? And how would you do it? Um. 
Well, I, I, I actually do think you could do it. Um, what it would require is that uh, the people in our movement would have to actually come up with an agreement uh, that we were going to work together as opposed to fighting with each other. We would have to have a common message, and we would have to uh, use our um, various outreach mechanisms to engage the people in doing the job. Seventeen million people will adopt this year. We only need four million of them to adopt from an animal shelter. That is uh, easily done. Yeah. We have a, a something called the Shelter Pet Project that is uh, g- gaining about $40 million in free advertising uh, to promote shelter and rescue adoptions. But also that's being done uh, by uh, Ralston Purina. It's being done by the ASPCA. It's being done by HSUS. Uh, there's a variety of different uh, players out there. I think one of the tragedies uh, that is a, a major hindrance to us accomplishing our goal is what we call uh, transparency and accountability. When shelters don't uh, pr- uh, publish their numbers so that people know what is actually coming in and what is not going out or what is going out is in barrels as opposed to in loving homes and, and loving arms, without the knowledge of the public, we can't engage them, and the public is our salvation. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, we have to start off with having common reporting so that people can compare community to community and decide where are the best practices, how do we pick and choose the best practices for our own community, and how do we move this ball forward. But without statistics, it's a bunch of um, self-serving rhetoric that I think uh, uh, ignores the problem, hides the problem, and it makes it impossible for the public to really decide who is a beyond spin-heavy reporting and actually doing the job. And a lot of shelters are reluctant to, to put that information out it, there. It's, huh? it's amazing to me, you know, do, uh, doing this radio show for a while now, Richard, um, how, di- how much difficulty we run into when we're doing our uh, prep for the show and looking at analysis and we're looking at research and how our research coordinators keep coming back to us and saying, uh, where can we find this number? Like, no, it doesn't exist. You can't find it. Where can we find this number? No, we, we don't know. We, it's tragic. I mean, without it's, numbers, you don't know where you've come. Without numbers, you don't know where you're at. And it makes it far more complicated and far more difficult to figure out where you want to go because you don't have the information. And without statistics and without data, without numbers, uh, you're going to be very... And how, how are we going to get right. there? How are we going to get there? Just, well, the, just the, 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 tr- the transparency part of it, aside from just paying the shelters to that, do it. is that Richard is saying something very critical here, okay? Richard is saying that the way to get to a no-kill nation starts with numbers. What's true? Well, you have to Let's know where you're starting truth, from. Okay? Numbers are the truth. So it starts with knowing what the truth is. Right. And... Why Why can we not get that much legislation done so at least municipal shelters that are funded by the taxpayer have to report their stuff? I mean, why can't we even, as the Truthfully. animal rights organizations, get that much of a legislation through Richard? Because the major leadership in this country today of the of the primary organizations can't come to an agreement on what the numbers should be. Uh, the PetSmart Charities has its own agenda. The universities have their own agenda. Maddie's Fund has its own agenda. The ASPCA has its own agenda. Best Friends has its own agenda. Nathan Winograd has his own agenda. All of these major, major players uh, are tied to their own formulas, their own reporting, and because we can't come to a consensus... We have none. We, we have nothing. And uh, I, I find that appalling... 
but everybody uh, is in this glass house. Uh, every organization uh, that I just enumerated and a lot more uh, cannot come to an agreement about uh, having numbers so that we can have a consistent way of disclosing information which will empower the people to help us do the job. But, Richard, let, let's dig in a little bit deeper, okay? Is it that all of these organizations have different opinions about the kind of numbers, or is it that all these organizations have an opinion that numbers are not that important or they are important? Where is the, the, the divergence? Uh, it's all over the water place. Uh, some of them are afraid that if we disclose the numbers, which we think each organization has to disclose the numbers as well as each community has to disclose the numbers. There are many organizations that have constituencies of these groups that are afraid that if the organizations publish their numbers, uh, they're going to get criticized because they're not doing a very good job. And therefore, um, they are reluctant to actually have public disclosure except on a regional or national basis. And, but if you don't have the numbers locally, then that's, and we think uh, boots on the ground is where you get the action. Absolutely. Right. If you think it has to be solved locally, but you can't get local numbers, where do you go? Exactly. And so unless the national organizations take a stand, which is contradictory to what their constituency wants, which is to say we, we have to publish and we have to publish locally, um, then uh, we have a divergence. We also have a divergence over uh, the kinds of information. Some people want to report breeds, and, and some people want to uh, have age reported. Some people want to have medical conditions reported. And so there's a whole host of different things, but you have to have a beginning. You have to have a starting point where people say, yes, at least this basic information can and should be reported. Because when you get into shelter and rescue operations, it gets very, very complicated. But you have to simplify it like mm -hmm. you do whenever you're doing statistical reporting. And you have to have a common set of definitions that everybody can buy into so that you actually get the information out. It's like an audit. Audits are done by companies to basically track dollars. We need to have the equivalent of that to track animal lives because the animal lives are far more precious than any uh, dollar uh, that goes in and goes out of a company. The animals that go in and come out of animal shelters have to be disclosed so that we can ask the American people to get behind uh, constructive, positive, progressive ideas to move forward. So, Richard, interesting thought that came to me as, as I was listening to you here. Um, I think what you're saying is very prolific, um, say the least. Um, the civil rights movement went forward because they found a magnetic leader in the personality of Martin Luther King. Um, the nonviolence movement found a, a, a leader in Gandhi in India and uh, took root in many, many countries uh, upon his teachings. It seems like great movements that have sort of um, uh, uh, united behind uh, one figure, one image. Social Is movement. it... Is it that there is no such figure in the animal rights movement? Is it a lack of leadership that's causing all these organizations basically beat each other up and, and get nowhere? Or too much leadership. Or too much <laughs> leadership. I mean, wh uh, it, what do you think? I think it's the latter. Uh, I, I do think that, and, and that's a blessing and a plague. Um, I think we have many strong leaders who have uh, very powerful messages, uh, but uh, America has difficulty finding one hero. Uh, we, we, uh, 
basically have difficulty thinking about royalty and thinking about monopolies and thinking about dictatorships. And so uh, the country, for better or for worse, is ineffective in terms of uh, rallying behind one voice. We normally have to have a lot of different voices. What I think has to happen is those different voices have to come together for a common purpose and agree to basically uh, jettison the luggage of the past and talk about the future and, and compromise and give up uh, something that they uh, think is important for the common good, which is to work on a consensus document. But we can't get the leadership to do that right now, and but, to me, that's very, very tragic. But isn't it isn't it the case that um, a Martin Luther King unifies them? I mean, there's some magic involved in that kind of personality that appears once every century, you know. And he comes out, or she comes out of the woodwork, and there is a magic to the robe that that person wears, and yep. that magic unifies. And there's so a the anim- force that comes out of that person. I don't think that seems to have happened in the animal movement. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think you're right, but when I think back to the Civil Rights Movement, you had the Black Panthers, you had CORE, you had uh, actually a host of different uh, spokespeople and people that were fighting for the hearts and minds of the American public to bring about a a stronger commitment to civil rights. Uh, Martin Luther King um, turned out to be our hero. Uh, He was that unifying uh, voice. And, uh, you know, his speech, his speech at, in Washington, uh, D.C. was, uh, was galvanizing. But also, you know, his demise, unfortunately, uh, was one of the triggers that got Lyndon Johnson to basically pass the legislation. Yeah, we, uh, we might both, we might add that the two people that you gave as examples, Alex, were both assassinated. Well, were both murdered, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and, we and, have, so, society has a way of doing that to great people. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's a tough time, but I, I do think we have some good leadership. Um, I just wish, um, that uh, there could be that solid voice as, as one person, or uh, the, the various leaders could come together, uh, put aside their differences, and talk about a common good. Uh, I think I think the people the people are going to have to identify that person somehow. I don't think it's going to be the organizations that do. Yeah, that. no, no, it's never it's, the organizations. It's going to be the people who identify, it's, it's, just as it was in every other great leader. You know. Yeah, because what you're saying is the money is there to be able to at least get reporting, which is step one of getting to a no-kill nation. What you're saying, with, without numbers, I mean, Joe DiCorella is a brilliant, brilliant scientist. Joe call, came to us when he was doing his paper, and he said, I need Listen, numbers. I need numbers. I need numbers to feed into this model, this complex mathematical model. And, you know, we were scratching our heads. Where do we get these numbers? They're, they don't exist. Right. I mean, it's, it's so pathetic. Well, and most of the organizations agree that there needs to be uniform reporting. It all breaks down when... What do they report? How do they report it? And we could get it. We have the muscle to get that done. Is what you're saying. We have the money and we have the muscle and the legislatures would do this one. Okay, no kill, you know, in one step, maybe they wouldn't go for it. But, you know, nobody's going to really come uh, in the legislature and stop it if we could present a united force is what you're saying. Exactly. It's it's very We don't even have a method of tracking the animals that are coming in. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. What do you think, uh, Richard? Uh, what do you think of uh, Doctor uh, DeCorellis's analysis, where he just basically threw numbers, uh, cages, meaning in the in the form of numbers, at the problem, and he said, "Listen, it takes four hundred eighty thousand cages to uh, to reach a steady state." Ste- uh, yeah, uh, to reach a steady state. Uh, I think that that's an interesting approach, uh, and I, I commend him for his study and and it, uh, the excellent work that he's already done. I. 
like I said, I don't see one size fits all. I don't think caging and housing and warehousing animals is really the answer. For, for me, it's marketing the animals more effectively so we get people in and out of the shelters and the rescues as quickly as possible. Keeping uh, a lower density population so we don't have some of the disease contamination issues that uh, basically exist in uh, dense housing. Dense housing to me is problematic. Um, and therefore, I'm more of a supporter for uh, seeing that we activate greater numbers of volunteers, we engage a higher number of fosters, and we get the word out to basically uh, get the animals out of the shelter overnight. Because in a shelter, you have all the problems of institutionalization. You mm -hmm. have record-keeping issues, you have uh, contamination issues, mm -hmm. uh, you have traffic flow issues, you have budget issues, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, therefore, I am more um, inclined towards getting away from shelter-centric uh, operations. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to have a, um, uh, a selection of animals so that people can find the kinds of dogs and cats that they're looking for, but we certainly don't need to have uh, mass warehouses, mm -hmm. in, in my view. Are you, um, are, last question, uh, were you surprised that it reaches a steady state so quickly, the analysis? No. No, like I said, I think America's on, on path to basically end the killing, and uh, we are really within uh, uh, a very short period of time of achieving our goal. And therefore, uh, a lot of these things that heretofore were impossible to think about are now uh, easily uh, discussable. Um, and I think uh, the idea of having a dialogue, uh, having a kind of program that uh, you two have to talk about these kinds of issues, to put it into uh, a forum for uh, exchange of ideas is outstanding because if we can start rallying the resources and the talent and the commitment to basically get the job done, it will be done. Richard, you're a good man. Thank you very much for joining us at this very early hour of the morning. It is the number one station in New York and in the country. So we are reaching out to lots of people that don't people. know about these issues and hopefully educating them a little bit, entertaining them, uh, certainly keeping them up at 6 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so, Richard, thank you very much for joining us. We're going to take off. Um, hope to hear from you again on the, another show of the Dogs Endangered Radio Hour, but we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. When we first started thinking about Dogs in Danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsInDanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to dogsindanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to dogsindanger.com and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, save a life. dogsindanger.com 
One day, the world will be a better place for animals. Spaying and neutering will be the rule, and adoption will be everyone's first choice. Animals will no longer be destroyed because they're unwanted or imperfect. Shelters will have the knowledge and resources to rehabilitate special needs animals and find the right family for every pet. It may sound like a dream, but it's actually a mission. It's the mission of Best Friends Animal Society, and we hope that you'll join us. Visit bestfriends.org. Together, we can create a world with no more homeless pets. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Welcome back to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. And this is the part of the show where we feature one dog from the dogsindanger.com website, uh, which was the inspiration for all of this. Thousands of dogs waiting every day on dogsindanger.com, all of them running out of time. Today's dog, uh, which we uh, picked uh, on behalf of Dr. D. Carolis, who's professor at, uh, at uh, North Carolina University, is um, in North Carolina, uh, Bladen County, Bladen County, North Carolina, um, and his name is Chance. He is a lab mix. They're calling him a lab collie mix. He is staring right into the camera with those big eyes. He looks happy and playful, young and friendly, and uh, he was adopted locally once, and they returned him because they have a child with problems, and they couldn't deal with both of them, apparently. These poor dogs, all these reasons that they get surrendered. He's an extremely sweet lab border collie mix who needs a loving home. Again, that's Bladen County, North Carolina. How many, do- how they many have days a volunteer. does he have? He's out of time. We have one day. Wait, that's the most important day. thing you did not yeah. mention. This dog is They're all out of running time. out of time. Yeah, yeah but this, this dog, dog is that out we're of talking time. about is out of time. We probably have 300 dogs that are running out of time today. But we, you know what? We have to pick one, and right. that's the one Brenda picked. So I picked North Carolina, and Bladen County has been a shelter that's been with us from the beginning. And they've had amazing success, um, you know, but they still have an, an inflow of dogs that they Isn't just that can't Kim deal over with. that Kim over there? Uh, Sylvia. Sylvia. Okay, yeah. Sylvia Kim. Yeah, Sylvia is a great volunteer who works with the shelter. And um, so the contact information is on our website. You can go to the Radio Hour page at dogsindanger.com. You can also um, call Sylvia uh, at 910-876-0539. And, um, and save. And save, yeah. And they have actually volunteers who do transport um, to yeah. out they'll, of state. They'll, yeah, they'll bring the state. dog right to you. Yeah, so, so, um, so please uh, check out the website. Check out Chance. He needs another chance. And uh, wow, and I just wanted line. to put our phone number out there. Yeah, for I want to thank our friend uh, Tootie, who's a regular listener of our show. And um, she said, you know, please, for people that don't have computers, can you give the phone number 914-304-4045 if you want to show your support for Dogs in Danger and our no-kill mission. And be what at the a Walkathon Sunday, yeah. May 15th. Two weeks, from, two weeks from today. Come out and meet us because I want to see you guys for once. Support the I want to see mission. faces. I just yeah. don't want to see these and numbers. And dogs. <laughs> and dogs. And what a great show. Um, two yeah. amazing guests. It's a complex um, issue. It, everything is complex, but it starts with knowing the numbers. Right. Duh. You know? Yeah. Like, like they said, there? you know, in Clinton's time, is the economy stupid? It's the numbers stupid. You know? So anyway, we can't even get the numbers stupid. <laughs> 